0: of Abraham, and there's many, um, many chapters on that, so we're probably going to continue doing that, because there's some good lessons in there, lessons on faith, not the typical sections of scripture I think people go to in terms of you know, faith and so forth, but there's little tiny things and, that happen in this story of Abraham uh, as he comes and goes that are really, really instructive for us. So we're going to get back to that next week, because Michael has suggested to me this week that if we look at Thanksgiving... And I thought that's a good idea. Michael mentioned a few things about that um, today, even during his drush. I think even some of the worship music, and Linda mentioned that. So uh, I want to stay on that, that theme of, of Thanksgiving, because we're all going to be uh, experiencing that in the next week, uh, ideally. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and one thing that, um, well, just so you know, the, the history of Thanksgiving, kind of what it really is, and you probably know this, but it is a, a celebration of a recognition of harvest, that the settlers were able to uh, survive in this new land. And when they were, you know, they, were, they were recognizing the fact that there was a harvest for them, a provision for them, and that's where the, the origins of this observation came from. Um, but back in the 1700s, it wasn't necessarily as coordinated and organized throughout this country as it is now. It uh, was primarily celebrated in the, the New England states. For you, this, this way? This way? This way? Yeah, that way. I think about speaking, sometimes you go the wrong direction and kind of facing people. But in any event, uh, primarily celebrated in New England and in that area of the country. Any other places that celebrated, it wasn't at the same time necessarily. But there was a woman who, who lived in the late 1700s, and her life actually spanned over into the 1800s, that really campaigned for. Thanksgiving becoming this coordinated, you know, the same place ever. Her name is uh, Sarah Hale. You're familiar with her or not. She actually was a, uh, a teacher. She um, was an author. She wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb. Did you know that? <laughs> Look at that. You know something else. Like that. you'll, you'll take that away, I'm sure. If nothing else. If you, Sarah Hale. Mary Had a Little Lamb. Apparently was based, she was a school teacher as well, and apparently it's based on a true story where one of her kids, you know, came to class and it was the lamb that followed and all that stuff and the commotion that it, that it wrought. And uh, so she wrote the, the thing there. So that's kind of what she spent about, I think, about 15 or 17 years really campaigning to make this a national holiday. Say so, hey, it's a national holiday. And that's what it was, what it was originally, this harvest, Thanksgiving for you know, the harvest. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know that's really what it's about today when you think about it or what it's become. I mean, it's become so many things. Uh, in one way, I believe it's almost just become kind of it feels like just a marker of time, right? Almost like a starting line, like ready, set, go. We're going to Christmas and New Year's and Halloween and all that. And it's sort of like a pause. Uh, maybe you can't pause to catch up on schoolwork or something. But really, this, this, this commercialization pause to uh, to get going. You got you know you got Black Friday. You got Cyber Monday, you got Great Tuesday, Pink Wednesday, you got all this. <laughs> I, mean, this I, I, I lose track of it. You know, there are like these multiple things now. Used to just be Black Friday. It's like there's multiple things, and anyway, I don't know. You I've to get emails about it for weeks already. Oh, forget. Well, you can do Black Friday now, and so this is kind of what it's become, unfortunately. You got you got that, and then the way also when it comes to how how Thanksgiving is celebrated, you know, with us, when you think about the words. Uh, the words that come to mind or the thoughts that come to mind of Thanksgiving, I was thinking about this. I mean, just playing word association with myself and writing things down, I mean, you think about day off work, right? Uh, football, um, overdue time with, with family and friends if you haven't, haven't spent that for a while, right? Uh, and all the stuff that comes along with the family. You know, sometimes we, we go around the table and say what we're thankful for, and I don't want to put all that down, but I, I thought about you know what those things talk about because it can be those kind of times. It can also be a time that makes you think about gluttony. Oh, I feel terrible <laughs> because I've eaten I eat, I eat too much. Or, or quite frankly, there's a, it, can, it can cause some people, remember our kindness told me this about certain holidays, that it can cause sad and lonely thoughts for people because not everybody's got somewhere to go. That's always a big thing. So there's, there's this big spectrum of when you when you consider, when you get around the table and you say, well, I'm thankful for you. We, we mentioned these things. And sometimes we're, you know, we're all saying the same thing about family and health and all this. But quite frankly, th- those aren't bad things to consider. And I don't want to necessarily put those down, like, like Michael had mentioned, family and, and God gives family and so forth. But when I thought about all of those things that are, that are typical of what we consider ourselves to be thankful for, um, they're all in the realm of of personal satisfaction or in the realm of personal fulfillment or the lack of those things. That's kind of what we weigh our, our thanksgiving on, at least the way I see it. And at the core of thanksgiving, again, it had to do with thankfulness for the harvest. And I think uh, that's what I went back to, to the scriptures with that idea of harvest this week because really, right along with what, what Linda was saying um, before when she talked about the seed and so forth I want to look a little bit at that because when it comes to harvest, you know, we are a bit removed from that agricultural stuff on the one hand. On the other hand, the Bible is full of these pictures. They're very valuable talking about the, agri- the agricultural pictures and images and illustrations that we see in the Bible and um, and I think we can, even though we're removed from it in a sense, where we're not all farmers in this room, I think we can certainly relate to the concepts that are involved with, with harvest and harvest time. And so when it comes to a harvest, um, you know, a harvest, to have a harvest, you have to have a crop, something to harvest. This is my simple thinking. I was thinking about it. And in order to have a crop, something had to grow in order for something to grow, something had to be planted. And in order for something to be planted, there had to be CDT. seed. Right? So I kind of saw, I mean, there's, a, there's things that fill in the holes there. But in general, you got to harvest, growth, seed, and, or, or harvest, growth, sowing, and seed. And of those things, harvest, growth, sowing, and seed, I thought, okay, well, humans, you know, we, we, we handle the sowing part, and we handle the harvesting part, and God handles the, the seed and the growth. So it's kind of a 50-50 relationship, you know? Um but not really, but I thought about it a little more. I thought you know, it seemed good. I was, I was almost going to preach, you know? I, 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 that was a good thing, but the truth is, um, the whole process, the entire process, not just the, the seed and the growing, that's really all attributable to God. I mean, he came up with that entire thing, you know, um, going back to Genesis 1, even. Right at the beginning, after the introduction and the explanation of why translation is the way it is, you get to Genesis. And by the way, you should read that stuff in the front of your Bible. Have anyone ever read that before? I'll stop for a minute. I get this question from, what's the best translation What's the best translation? There's no best translation. I mean, really, reading Hebrew the best translation. However, you've got to translate that into something you understand. And the fact is, every Bible uh, has its own agenda, if you will, and they kind of explain it in the front. So, please don't come and say, oh, the NIV is a nearly, nearly inspired version of blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. They've all got their different angles. Maybe that's a little side. side so after all that stuff, you get to Genesis. Chapter 1, in the intro, in verse 11, it says, God said, let the land sprout grass, green plants yielding seed, fruit trees making fruit, each according to its species, with seed in it upon the land. Very straightforward, but, but very clear there that that's, that's all attributable to God. He came up with the whole thing. And moreover, He provides the life, the, the breath, and the strength for us to do. Even those parts that I thought, okay, maybe that's our parts, you know, the, the ability to sow and the ability to harvest. That's all Him too, you know. It's all Him. So when it comes to, excuse me, when it comes to Thanksgiving, In the sense of even a harvest festival, there's really no place for any kind of personal recognition. No thought of, you know, I'm a good farmer, I know how to plant, I know when to plant, I know what to do, and so forth. There's really no place for that. You know, I've got, I thought, I've got seeds in my garage right now. Maybe some of you have seeds in your garage for different things, leftovers, or whatever it is, you get some extra seeds somewhere. But I've got seeds that have been there for, maybe and brought when I moved here from Maryland, I don't remember. But certainly they're multiple years old, these seeds. And I could plant them in the ground, you know, I could do a real good job of it when the times right and the conditions I could have the right pH of the soil and the depth and that I could have a special micro, you know, uh, computer controlled watering system like some people have, and that's great. I do all that stuff. And they would grow. They been sitting in my garage. They would grow, you know. Uh, but but who tells the seed what the heck it is! <laughs> you know, how does the seed know that it's a seed? How does the seed know what to do? And how does that even work? You know. Uh, but again, it's God. I'm just sort of hammering that point home. This is God. It's His system. It's His building blocks. That's how He does things. That, that, that idea I read in Genesis that so seed the, the stuff grows and the stuff that's in it is for more of the same stuff. That's all His process, and that's not just for agriculture. This, this that's why these images are used in the Bible. We can apply them as you're thinking about other stuff. And maybe I'll get you to think about some other stuff in life as we go along. But that's all his process. And the realization of that, and then the internalization of that, I think is really what I see as the core of, of Thanksgiving. That's what I see as the core of Thanksgiving. And, and not just once per year, but as often as we are able to to slow down enough to think about that, to think about the sovereignty of God, and whether whether that's something you do once a week, whether that's something that you do once a day, whether that's something that you do all day long, whether that ebbs and flows, I don't know. The fact is that, that God provides seed, right? And for us, that's in the form of, of our gifts, that's in the form of abilities. And in the form that we're given the strength and the wherewithal, the to understanding, to know what to do with those things. That's all from him. And then he takes, he takes that stuff, he takes those seeds, he takes those efforts, and the Bible tells us that he He establishes them, he crowns them with glory, you may have heard, heard it said before, but he actually does bless those efforts. We read about that in Psalm eight, Psalm 90, Proverbs 16. Talks about this idea that your efforts, you're committing your way to God, and He will take that and, and use it, use it accordingly. So that we can see that there's an amazing harvest of things that we never, you know, never could have possibly done or, or seen happen without it. Hopefully you can. So that idea of harvest, that, that drew me to exactly what, what Linda was speaking. I don't know if you talked about that because I sent you the scripture or not, but that was kind of if you didn't, that's great. But was it the the seed falling in the ground? Is that from our email? Okay, that's fine. I thought we were on the same page That's great. I was thinking about this this, harvest and seed and how things grow and so forth. Again, there's lots of examples in Scripture. But I I looked um, a little bit at John chapter 12. And John chapter 12 uh, has an image in there of this exact thing that Linda talked about. Um, Starting in verse 20, going through 25 or 6 is what I did. But this is where Yeshua, you know, his ministry goes along for a while. And this really is a turning point. I don't know how many people look at this as the real, the real climax of his ministry or not, but it certainly is a point where things really do pick up speed. And starting in, in, in verse 20, uh, it says that now, this is right at Passover time, actually, it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. Okay, Passover. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in the Galilee. He said, Sir, we want to see Yeshua. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew came and told Yeshua. And Yeshua did not say, Hey, come on in yeah, let me talk to He basically looked at that, and he said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he saw this as part of the turn and the prediction uh, of God, that the knowledge of God was spread beyond the Jewish people to, the, to all the nations of the world. And Yeshua recognized this, and he declared it as the the peak or the turning point of his ministry. And as we said, now the the hour has come. And then he goes on to discuss kind of what that's going to look like, what the, the climax of his ministry is going to be, what the real culmination is going to be, the manner in which things are going to get started. And he uses an illustration based on this process, this process of seed, time, and harvest. As Linda talked about, mentioned this the idea of the seed dying. He gives, that, he gives that picture here. He says, unless a seed, unless a seed, or, unless, a seed um, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. He gives a picture of that process. So we see there that the, the seed dying is not a negative thing. We talked about seed before, what we have to give as well. Seed dying is not a negative thing. You think of seed dying, seed dying actually is the seed that's not used. Um, But the seed dying equals production. It equals prosperity. Otherwise, it just remains alone. Uh, It doesn't produce anything. Like like the seeds in my garage. There's potential there, but they're just sitting there. They're stagnant. And again, for us, seed is, is whatever we've been given. Whatever we've been given. And a big piece of that is is the Word of God, the Scriptures. But beyond that, it's anything and everything, quite frankly. It's hard to really pinpoint, you know. Uh, I'm going to talk about some of that tomorrow at the give you a little preview for the men to, to look at another passage of Scripture that talks about your gifts. And you know, sometimes I think we, we think that our gifts are, you know, they've got to be some amazing thing you're super talented with. But the fact is, remember, God has that whole process. He gives you the, the seed, but also the ability to do anything. Quite frankly, it's really anything and everything is what your seed is and what you have to give. Amen. And with that, you have a choice. You have a choice, just like that seed. It can be it can be kept, you can keep it yourself, you can put it on the shelf, right? Or you can sow it. And that that then dictates the results. The results being that that seed either remains alone, your gift remains alone, or it produces fruit. And don't forget, it, that fruit in turn produces more seeds. You know, when you think about how many seeds are in an apple, how many apples are on a seed? I mean, it's, you can't figure out the latter, right? Even R.E.L. couldn't calculate how many, apple, how many apples there are in a seed. Or seeds are on an apple, apples in a seed. Level. We know how many seeds are on an apple, that's a different question. But that in turn, that whole process produces more seeds. So part, part of the sowing and experiencing the harvest is recognizing, you know, that's kind of what life is all about. Um, verse 25 of this section in John 12 says, He who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it forever. Again, this is, this is still part of the sowing and, and reaping process, understanding what life is about. And so what does it mean? Have you ever consider what it means to, to love your life or to, to hate your life? You know? One who loves his life will lose it, and one who hates his life in this world will keep it. Does the contrast, does that contrast between loving your life versus hating your life, uh, does that mean that in order to live properly and effectively as a, as a follower of God, does that, does that mean that you really must hate your life? I hate my life. You know, I'm a teenager, right? Sorry, teenager. You know, hate my life, right? Is that what that means? That means you can't be thankful. You're gonna feel now guilty on on Thursday or when you when you go around the table. What are you thankful for? I hate my life. is that what you're supposed to do? Is that what we're being taught of? Uh, taught in this passage? You know, but you can't be thankful for any of that stuff that you might say you're thankful for. You know, um, the idea of loving life here. it's, it's not that obviously. I'm, I'm making making fun of that, but really it has to do with it with an undue all encompassing focus on just the things of this world to the exclusion of the fact that there's a creator. So there's a lot of people that are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving will be thankful for all kinds of stuff that they can't take credit for. Um, who are they giving thanks to? They're really not giving thanks to anybody. I'm just thankful to, you know, nature or whatever for these things. So, the idea of excluding the creator and then the fact that there's an eternal life either with, with or without him, that's what that has to do with love with the idea of, of of loving your life or, or hating your life, I guess, don't love it to an undue extent like that. And hating one's life is the idea of having it's not again not the idea of I hate my life, but it's having so much commitment to that that other thing that the other stuff just kind of fades away. You know, the self centeredness in the here and now does fade. It's not that you hate your life, but it kind of becomes it kind of becomes less significant to you. I thought about it like this for myself. You know, I. I mean, we all probably have and or have had lots of hobbies at one point or at a time, were things you enjoyed doing. You know, uh, I have had lots of things that I enjoyed doing. Um, and I had for bicycles, rode motorcycles, like all kinds of stuff. And when I became married, you know, and I had kids, especially, it's not that I don't do, that I do zero of those things anymore. But all of a sudden, the, the the focus going to my wife and to my children sort of makes all that stuff a little less. It's just it's just not an issue. It's not that I actively said. I hate these worldly things, and I'm stopping them. It kind of just happened, you know. It kind of happened with, with uh, you know, college and college stuff that I did at that time. I mean that stuff, I never could sort of stop it on my own power. When I came to become a believer, it just sort of it faded. It was the answer all of a sudden. It went from wow, I didn't go out last weekend, and that seemed like an eternity. That was two weeks in a row. To just, just didn't happen anymore because it just wasn't on the radar anymore. So that's the idea of hating your life. It kind of happens more uh, passively, quite frankly, as you focus more on the, the, the true stuff. And ideally, again, the more that you do that, the more that uh, God and his creation, including you and the things he's blessed you with and enabled you to do, thinking about that in the proper sense, the more that that occupies your mind and soul, the more those other things simply fade away. And that's the loving and hating of life that's being spoken about here. So, Thanksgiving, again, it's not so much about, you know, the, the great things we have to be thankful for in our lives, although that's important, but it's the, it's the things that underlie that. You know, it's other things that underlie that. And so Thanksgiving for what God has also provided by the sowing of himself into the earth. You know, that he came, he died, he, he rose, and that produced a great harvest and a great reason to be thankful And so when it comes to to thanksgiving, again, in addition to, I thought about the harvest and the idea of seeds and the way seeds work and the way that's all part of God's process. um, That's probably not a new concept for you, but it's not the typical way we we think about thanksgiving, giving thanks. Um, But there's lots of thanksgiving examples and and, and words of thanksgiving in the Bible, especially in the Psalms. And so um, in our remaining time, I want to go through Psalm 100 with you. And this is kind of, I think, a model of, of thanksgiving. Again, I don't want anyone to feel guilty on Thursday to say, I don't don't want to say I'm thankful for my family or what have you. You can, but I want you to to look a little deeper and to think about what's underlying all of that and what's going to be beyond Thursday. What's going to be beyond Thursday? What's going to be the daily, the daily thing to be thankful for? And so if you want to turn to Psalm 100, we're going to kind of, it's a very short Psalm. Let's look at Psalm 100. He says, Vamos a ver. Hebrew? <laughs> ¿Cómo We could do Hebrew if you'd like to say Spanish. Either one. We'll do English. For now. Asal of Thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to Adonai all the earth. And we sing some of these songs. If I did sing them in Hebrew, you probably recognize them because we do... We do uh, Sing these exactly in Hebrew. Uh, Serve Adonai with gladness. Come before his presence with joyful singing. Know that Adonai, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Praise him, bless his name, for Adonai is good. His loving kindness endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. The psalm starts off with um, actually a claim, a claiming of the world for God. This is not, uh, you know, compartmentalization, what's good for you is good for you, what's good for me is good for me. It's basically all the earth. Kol Ha'ata, is what it says. So it claims the world for God. There's no compartmentalization there. And this shout, um, if you were to look, this is the same kind of shout. This is a different word for shout than we sometimes uh, say, but it's the shout that We hear in battle; it's a war cry, like a war shout. You see it in Joshua as well. So it's not just a yell, but it's a meaningful, all-or-nothing blast, like being in battle. That this 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 proclamation is being made. And then verse two says, "Serve out gladness; come before his presence with joyful singing." This is what's called. This is a poetic uh, um, feature called um, parallelism. There's different kinds of parallelism. Sometimes the Bible will give two things that are opposite, two things that are the same. The opposite one is called antithetical parallelism, and this one is called synonymous parallelism, When you're basically restating something the same again to kind of make a point. And so you've got this restatement that tells us a little something about uh, service. It says, serve out of out gladness. Come before his presence with joyful singing. So you've got serving and coming before his presence with joyful singing. Well, coming before his presence with joyful singing sounds like worship, right? But it's synonymous with service. You're serving him and you're coming before him with worship. So those are both the same thing there. In other words, there's no work when you think, now I'm not worshiping and afterwards I'm going to serve by doing the chairs. And then I'm also going to get out of the way if I'm not doing the church, right? But you you can I'm going to serve afterwards as a plug. Where's Ellen? Ellen, I'm doing this for you, right? Where's Ellen? She just told me to make sure it's very clear. Not this Ellen, different Ellen. Ellen WG, Any of that, she thought she was going to get away with me bringing the bad news, and it was her. (laughs) Ask me to make an announcement, I'll be glad. Um, But the idea is that you're not just going to serve afterwards when you worship earlier, it's all one and the same. Service and worship are completely tied together. They're synonymous. There's only service, which is in fact worship, inseparable. The word there for service is, uh, is avodah. Sometimes you touch the word for servant also. But it's not the word for your typical work that you're supposed to abstain from on Shabbat. It's a, melacha, it's a different word. It's a different word. So every act of worship is an act of service, and every act of service done for the Lord is an act of worship. So again, there's no line of demarcation between the two. And there's got to be consistency in those two things. There's got to be consistency in how you serve and how you worship. Because if you serve one way and worship another way, then really neither of those things have any value. They've got to be consistent. They've got to line up. Okay? And then after that, we see verse 3, which says, Know that I, he is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. That's kind of a after the fact reason to do the thing we just read. And then it's also the precursor to do the thing that's coming next, which is to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts of praise. You do that because he is the creator. He is our creator. That's the, that's the foundation for this thanksgiving that's going to come in verse 4. It's the knowledge that that's the foundation of, of worship. As you to enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. That's being welcomed into his house, basically. He cares for you. He's good and he's merciful. So again, there's a, lot, there's a lot going on. It's a very short psalm, but it's very compact. So the picture, the picture of thankfulness that we see in Psalm 100, you also read, you also don't see that there's any thankfulness for anything that that we get or any results or anything. Okay, it's not about being able to point to answers. The thankfulness is all based on the fact that he's good because, you know, because he's created me. He's the creator of all things. It's not he's good because he satisfies me with long life. We see some of those things elsewhere, but here, this Thanksgiving, this, this is the core of Thanksgiving. He doesn't satisfy me with long life. He doesn't, not because he gives me good health or a good family or, or plenty of food and fun at Thanksgiving. But we're to be thankful in the midst of not knowing anything about the future. That's a hard one, just knowing that, that he is. But we're going to be thankful because we can serve him, it says here, and that we, that, that we can know him, that we're welcome in his house, and that he is committed and he is true to us. That's the reason for the Thanksgiving. Again, it's not, it's not uh, you know, based on results of any kind. So in, in addition to, to any of the other things that I think that we will reasonably think about and talk about around the table this Thursday, I just want us to remember that as we come to Thanksgiving next week that, that yes we have plenty to be thankful for, but not the least of which is the foundation of all that, which is our, our Creator, who is good and who is merciful. And he's so merciful that like we see in, in, in John that we read earlier, that he that like a seed serving its purpose, he also came and he came to earth to live, to die, and then rise again, producing for us an endless uh, harvest of life. So hopefully there's some food for thought there. You can think about that this week as we uh, as we enter this, this season. Let's pray. Lord, I, I do thank you for, for your sovereignty. Not for, for perfect or, or desired results per se, Lord, but just the idea that you are sovereign to to have the power to bring success to your plans, and Lord, may we know how to how to walk and how to accept the plans that you have, Lord, whether they're for us, whether they seem like they're the things we're most happy about, whatever they might be, Lord, may we recognize your sovereignty and your your perfection to bring about your desired results, Lord, in all things. We thank you, Lord, for for the idea of harvest or for the actual harvest, you know, the the way that you order life. The way that you provide everything that it takes to to see harvest, Lord, from the seed to the ability to to sow those seeds, to then watch you grow them, Lord, and then for us to that you're gracious and merciful and you love us enough that we can actually enjoy the benefits of the things that you grow. So we thank you for that, Lord, for that example of how you do this, and that we can be a part of it. And Lord, I pray that also that. What would be really what we're about, and what defines us, and what gives us hope, and gives us the ability to even discuss the hope that's in us, Lord, is the fact that you that we understand your ultimate example of how the death of a seed brings life abundantly. So, for any that don't that don't know that today, that they would they would understand it, that they would understand this is all part of life, things that they already take part of, that they already accept as, as fact, the way things grow, Lord, the fact that's the same way that they need to. See that you, you've provided that in, in your son, Lord. So I pray that today they would come to know that by way of, way of the son, Yeshua. It's his name we pray. Amen.